Thank you. That's a great introduction. I should come here more often. That would be great. I know a good number of you, but if you, if you don't just out, know me, just adding a little bit to, to what Sasha said, um, my, mine and my wife's Fiona, one of our key responsibilities here at Eastgate, is to develop an evangelistic culture, which to us is an absolute pleasure, um, absolute adventure. And one of the things that's part of that culture is to ensure that you're equipped by evangelists that are fun, joy, joy-filled, and adventurous. Because that's how God designed evangelism. I know that's not everybody's experience of evangelism, but that's, that's how we see that God designed evangelism. And so part of our, our desire is that becomes everyone else's experience. That it, you move away from something that you might feel a bit awkward about, you might feel overwhelmed with, you might feel is not for you, into something where you can just flow in a connection to heaven, to, just to bring heaven to earth amongst unbelievers. So that's kind of what we do. Um, we're also writing a book at the moment that we're, trying, we're hoping to get out this year. About halfway through now, it's going, going very well. Um, another part of the, the um, evangelism strategy is to embody some of that stuff that I've just mentioned into a course. So as, as part of the Connect Group program, there's not one running this term. There's a course called Dazzle. We have a joke at home, it's a bit like Razzle Dazzle. Um, but that's our own personal joke. And that stands for developing a supernatural evangelistic lifestyle. And that is open to anybody connected with Eastgate that wants to work out how to be correctly motivated for evangelism, how to get free of your past experiences, and then find out how God sees you evangelistic. And during the course, there are some real awesome moments where people hear God in a way they haven't heard. They suddenly see themselves in a way they haven't heard. And I've invited Maria to come and she did the last course, so she's going to come and share a little bit about that uh, before I talk. Thank you, Mark. Good evening, everyone. Um, yeah, so I, I really kind of needed shifting into line in terms of where I was coming from with evangelism. And um, when we were doing the Dazzle course, Holy Spirit brought a memory back to mind that I'd completely forgotten about. And that was when I was in university, I went on an outreach to um, a German university um, and we were a whole group of people and I distinctly remember chatting with uh, two or three people and really kind of getting into a debate and then the debate led to an argument and I was like, how do I get across the love of God? Um, and so, of course, when Holy Spirit brought that to mind, and this was probably about week two, week three, I really had to repent. So, yeah, don't argue people into the kingdom of God. That's not a way that, that Mark or Fiona or I would recommend. Um, so the Dazzle course, in a sense, for me, kind of brought my relationship with God into a new light. I felt that there was a new dimension where, like Mark and Fiona were talking about, partnering with God and the invitation from heaven to go on this adventure to see, you know, what, what words can you speak into people's lives? How can you tell them the gospel in a way that, that really would change their lives and change the way that they see God? Um, and just the group time was fantastic. And yeah, if you ever get a chance to do it, I would say absolutely do it. When I first started, I was a bit like, oh, I'm not an evangelist and it is a bit uncomfortable. But actually, it's not about us. We're just the tools in his hand. It's about him. It's about Holy Spirit. So um, I just want to share a couple of testimonies. 
And the first one was um, part of our homework that week was to go and tell someone an encouraging word, but give them a specific word from God and ask Holy Spirit beforehand. So I did that and I, I went down to Chatham, had my two kids with me, laden down with shopping in Sainsbury's and I walked past this lady and she was stacking bread and I knew the word was for her. But I was like, oh, I don't know, Lord. So I thought, no, I'm just going to go and pay. But then I had this real conviction. I have to go back. I have to see this lady. So I went back and I said to her, excuse me, I hope you don't mind me asking you this. But I said, I I just feel like you're lacking hope. And actually, you need to know that God knows about you. And he knows the dreams that he's put in your heart. And that actually don't lose hope. And that, that took courage to do. But I was amazed at her response. She was like, yeah. You know, I've, I've been searching. I've been thinking this last week, reflecting on my life. There must be something more. I have dreams, but I haven't seen them come to pass. And that was amazing. And then she told me about her mum, who was a clairvoyant and sort of, you know, gave her certain messages. And I said, you know, it's great that you have a hunger from God uh, to hear uh, those messages. And then Holy Spirit, it's like he dropped it in my spirit to say these words to her. That's fantastic. Ask Jesus to speak to you. Ask to hear his voice directly. So that was really encouraging to her, and that was really encouraging to me as well, because I could see as I stepped out that Holy Spirit just took over. And then the second testimony I have, um, so um, our family went to China a few months ago, and we're involved in like a a mother and toddler group, um, and there's some very, very poor families there, needy families there and there's this one family with this little boy and he was born he had like a a bleed on the brain when he was born and he came in with his grandmother um, and as I was sitting he was playing and I clearly remember Holy Spirit say to me you know, tell this grandmother how wonderful she is. Encourage her. Now, these are not believers. You can't necessarily talk to, about God directly. But I knew that he'd given me a message for her. Had I not done Dazzle, it wouldn't even have been in my head. But I was able to really respond to be open to what God wanted to do and share that, that word, that encouraging word with that lady. And I know that was the Lord, but it was such a privilege to be the deliverer of that word. So I'm going to hand back to Mark. Thank you. He's got slides up. So I like a bit of interaction, I'm afraid. So you're the ones that have to interact with me. So if, if you are going to share something about being a Christian to people tomorrow, I'm not looking for right or wrong answers. Where, where would you start? You need to shout some things out at this point. What, what sort of things would you include? So I'm not after a polished answer. I'm just after the sort of things you may say. How you become a Christian? And you share your testimony. And you'd share your testimony as part of that. Yeah, I'll just make sure I heard what you said. Okay. How much God loves them? Have you ever thought about God? Good open question. Gary at the back. Okay. Looking for any opportunity? Any more? What sort of, in terms of content, what would you share with them if they asked you what a Christian was? What would you, where would you start? What would be one, two or three things you think were important to include? Relationship you have with God? 
Love for God. Anything else? It's not religion. Okay. I'm not going to give you marks out of ten. About relationship. Thank you. Just interested to know what you're thinking. You may never thought this before, but terms like Christian, Christianity, or how to become a Christian didn't exist when Jesus shared the gospel. Have you ever thought that before? Just to get you, get you thinking. So the term Christian didn't really come along to, I think the first recorded use of it is in the New Testament in AD 42, done my historical homework. Um, in the church at Antioch in Acts 11. So that was about 10 years after Jesus' ascension. So in the three years that Jesus shared the gospel, he never mentioned becoming a Christian. And if you thought about that, and yet people did, quite a lot of them. I went, so the Greek word for Christian, which I'm not going to pronounce because I haven't got a clue how to say it, means follower of Christ, which I I personally don't find very unsurprising because he asked people to follow him, didn't he? That was obviously his, that was often his first or his beginning with people. Even before they were Christians, he would say, follow me. I get, you know, we, we understand. Some of you would be on Twitter or other forms of social media and you would follow people. His invitation was often to find out what I am like. And that's what his beginning was. But that's another message. I'm not going to go into that tonight. So if Jesus didn't use, if we go on to my next slide, please. If Jesus didn't use the term Christian or Christianity, what was his message? So what I'm wanting to do tonight is equip you to better share about Jesus' message. And it's not, I'm not here just to give you nice words, but actually that there's grace on all the evangelists here at Eastgate that you can draw from to be able to do this. So, this was his message. So this was, so Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Notice the bit in italics on the slide, good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness among the people. So Jesus regularly used terms like kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom, or the good news of God. And obviously you could interchange the word gospel and good news. So again, nothing in there about becoming a Christian. So why did Jesus use the term kingdom? That's where my brain goes. That's what I start to think. If that was his theme for three years, it must must be important. And he used that term in the, in the non-Christian or the unbelieving world. That's where he most used that term. I know we use that term in, in, our, ch- in our churches, which is absolutely right. I wonder if you've ever thought about using the term kingdom or a similar term in your discussion with, with unbelievers. We'll pick that up later on this evening. I want to say something really obvious but important. We use the term kingdom because the gospel message is primarily about a king and his kingdom. I'll say that again. This is fundamental to evangelism. If you don't get this, you've missed, I would suggest you may miss it. So the reason that Jesus uses the term kingdom is, is the kingdom or the God's kingdom 
is fundamentally about a king and the influence and power of his kingdom. So that, let you think about that. And it's about what that king has done, what he's achieved and what he's currently doing now. So the first place or, or early on in any discussion with unbelievers or non-Christians or whatever you want to call people that, that, that aren't Christians is whatever we do should reveal the king and his kingdom. So arguing is not a great idea, as Maria says. But however we engage with unbelievers, whatever we say, whatever journey we go through with them on, if we're not introducing the king and his kingdom, and I mean in tangible ways, I don't just mean in concepts and in language, I mean in tangible, real ways, I would suggest they're unlikely to become a Christian. Because becoming a Christian, as many of you said just a minute ago, is having a relationship with the king of the kingdom. See that connection there? I'm not revealing a faith. I'm not revealing a, a religion. I'm not revealing a good idea. I'm not revealing the church. Our evangelism is to reveal the king. And then they can experience the king and they can experience the kingdom. I've got you all thinking. I would suggest that a message that focuses on purely on the dynamics of becoming a Christian actually sells people short of what being a Christian is. I'll I'll explain that a bit more as we go through. Now I would suggest because we're not revealing the king and the kingdom, that probably has something to do with the fact of why we don't see many people as saved as we desire. So if we just talk about, very narrowly, about being a Christian, because Jesus invited people into the kingdom. Even the term born again, is you're born again into the kingdom. So I've spoken about this uh, more than once here at Eastgate, that it's God's dream is to reconcile the world to himself. That's his dream, and that's the motivation we have for evangelism, is we get invited into that dream. Not because we should do it, or we ought to do it, or because an evangelist in the past has manipulated you or guilt-driven you into doing it. Actually, the privilege, the greatest invitation we can ever have in our life is to be invited in to partner with God to bring about his dream. But the point in the context of tonight's talk is how can someone be reconciled to the king if they never encounter him? Does that make sense? If we're not revealing a risen, dynamic, awesome, powerful king in a supernatural, real way to unbelievers, they're not going to grab at it. They're not going to grab at it. See, Jesus' message was much bigger than just becoming a Christian. It was about entering a kingdom that literally changes the history of the universe. Where we all get caught up in that amazing, we ourselves get transformed into different, we move from human being to a spiritual being, and we get to transform society around us. So, let me just uh, draw this out a bit more. If you can go on to the next slide. You know, like my social media likes and dislikes. So 
for no better terms, I've, the, 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 there's a table for those on, on the podcast where we've got, if you're, if, you're, if you're focusing on what it means to be saved or converted or becoming a Christian, you tend to focus on the things on the left. And if you're thinking about a kingdom focus when you share the gospel, you're thinking about the things on the right. And I'm stereotyping a little here uh, to draw it out. And I won't go through every one of these because we will be here all night, um, which most of us probably don't want to be. So... Let me give you a little story to illustrate that. Let's say I was having dinner tomorrow night at my house and I invited you all to dinner at 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. Okay, this is just an example. It's not a real invitation. Because my wife might get a little upset. So, um, and you all, you all come to my house and you knock on the door and you say, you go, can I come in? Because you want to have a relationship with me and sit at my table and relate to me, sorry, and enjoy dinner around my table with all of it, all of the people here and, and my wife and my family. But if we spend the evening talking about the door into my house and why you couldn't enter it, what the problem was with the door that wouldn't let you into my house, if that was our focus, you'd think that was really odd, wouldn't you? Because I've invited you to dinner. I've invited you to a feast. See, Jesus never concentrated on the problem. He set his invitation out and expected people to work out why they couldn't come and work it out themselves with some revelation from him. That's that, and yet a lot of traditional evangelism methods focus on the door or the door of sin or the separation from God or the reasons you can't get into heaven, which are all true, but they weren't the focuses of Jesus' message. So let's just go through just a few of these. So first, I'm going to go through sin versus not believing. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus tells anyone they're a sinner. It doesn't mean they're not. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But in his evangelism, he didn't say that. Like that you, or Sasha here, before she becomes a Christian, has got a generic problem with sin. That she's been sinning all her life. And that doesn't let her get into heaven. That's what the conversion focus gospel will look at. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say all the sins that you've done in your life stop you getting into heaven or stop you entering the kingdom. He never said that. Because he's dealt with sin on the cross. He's already provided a solution. He said this in John 16, 9. So when he comes, or when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he's going to pick the first one up about that. About sin, because people do not believe in me. The biggest sin that people have, or the sin that matters when it comes to the kingdom is, is they don't believe in Jesus. All the other sin is just noise and poor decisions in their life. So going back to God's dream to reconcile the world to himself, the thing our evangelism should do is help people believe in Jesus. Because they'll believe in him, realise how amazing he is, and then want to follow him. So any gospel message that preaches on Sin, 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 sin. He's actually missing the message. It's true, but it's not the point. Take the rich young ruler. The reason he couldn't enter the kingdom is because his love of money and his wealth and his possessions were greater than his love for Jesus. So he went through a whole discussion about keeping the commandments But the one thing that stopped him entering the kingdom was money, in his case. And that was the one thing that Jesus went after. Didn't have a discussion about his general sin or his failings or the things he should have done or didn't do. 
He picked up on the one thing that stopped him entering the kingdom. Let's come to another point then. So the second one here I want to cover is transactional versus relational. And some of you have already way, way down on the relational side from the comments that you gave. So John 17:3 defines eternal life as knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So again, going back to what I was saying earlier, we need to introduce the king to people, the supernatural risen king, so they can relate to him. If you focus on the transactional side, you'll talk about how God or Jesus took our sin upon himself. And it becomes like a legal transaction, which again is biblically true. But that's not where Jesus, that's not not what Jesus focused on. That's something that Jesus achieved and made it possible. It's like he removed the door from my house so you can come in. Having a conversation with someone about an amazing God that wants to know them is very different to having a conversation with someone about how they need to you know, exchange their sin for the life that God has got for them. Again, it's biblically true, but it's not how Jesus presented the gospel. Moving on. So again, the person's problem versus the king's solution. There's a, there's a theory... Well, an underlining theory in a lot of evangelism teaching is that you have to make someone realize they've got a problem before they become a Christian. You know, a bit like similar to Alcoholics Anonymous, where they want you to admit that you're an alcoholic, or you admit you've got a problem, otherwise you won't deal with it. So a lot of evangelism methods go after your problem of sin. And if you don't get fast first base of sin, you can't take the conversation anywhere else. But again, I don't see Jesus doing that. I have to be honest, and I read the Gospels, I don't see him doing that. He demonstrated the kingdom with all its amazing power and healing, and people repented because of what they saw. Not because they repented because they were told they were bad sinners, but they saw something different, and that's what they wanted. Somehow the Gospel has got so centered around sin, which obviously it solves, but that's found its way into our evangelistic language far too much. So that the person's problem is sin and the king's solution, that there's a kingdom of life and healing for all your brokenness. That's how Jesus presented the gospel. How about anger versus kindness? There's that lie out in the world, isn't there, that God is angry with people. Have you heard that? It's very common. The Bible doesn't say that he's angry with people in the way that that lie implies. In Romans 2.4 it says it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. Telling people that God is angry with them and hoping they're leading to repentance isn't working in line with the kingdom. It's about demonstrating the kindness of the king. That's what leads people to repentance. Last one on this slide, that uh, past versus future. So one focuses on the past, i.e. that you sinned and you're going to hell. The other focus is on the future, which is about God's invitation to enter the kingdom and be with him forever. See the difference? So Matthew 2.29 says, this is Jesus's, one of Jesus' analogies of the kingdom. He says, so go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. The emphasis is on the invitation to the banquet. God has a banquet of beauty, of healing, of eternal presence, and eternal hope. And that's what people are invited to. If you think about 
people that you know that go along to spiritualists. I don't know if you've ever been to those. I sat in a pub once with some Christian friends where I live and went and just engaged with some of them towards the end of the evening. I haven't got time to go through that story. But people don't go to a spiritualist because they think they've got it wrong. They go to a spiritualist they're looking for hope. They won't find it. They want to go to a spiritualist because they want to talk to a dead relative. Because they're looking for or answers to their life. And yet that's exactly how Jesus presented the gospel. He didn't offer conversation with the dead, just to be clear. But he was offering them hope um, and a new life. So on to my next slide. Thank you. I think this is some of the, one of the most provocative um, verses there is about evangelism. So it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. When Jesus was out and about, the Bible regularly says people wondered and were amazed. Or in this story, somebody left all that they had to follow Jesus. So when you last did evangelism, did people wonder and amaze at the conversation they had with you? Or did they think, this is so amazing, I need to leave all that I've got? But that's what the Bible says the kingdom does. That's the response. Maybe not the first time they hear about Jesus or his kingdom. I would suggest, I'm going to look at two reasons tonight um, why that may be the case. The first one is our language. I think as Christians we mix our internal language up with our external language. Let me explain to you based on a company called Nike. So Nike has an external brand, Just Do It. You must know that. It's one of the uh, hailed as one of the best marketing uh, campaigns ever. Nike means, or is, is, sorry, the winged goddess of victory. The mythological associations for the Nike brand are flight, victory, and speed. The goddess Nike had the power to fly. Buying their product implies you can run faster and achieve victory. It's a good brand. It's an inspirational brand. It doesn't give you facts about its product. It engages with your emotions to want to be a better person and to achieve more. That's its external brand. All right? But their mission statement and their internal company values are very different. Let me just read you some of these. So their internal mission statement, bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And they've got an asterisk after the term athlete. And their co-founder, Bill Bowman, says, the asterisk is if you have a body, you are an athlete. They change their staff's perception of every prospective customer to be an athlete. That's profound. They're not talking about people they sell to in terms of just to get money. They're inspiring their staff to buy products that help their customers' dreams go further. I'm not surprised they're a successful company. But that's what the Bible says to us, that we should change our mind about unbelievers and see them as God sees them. 2 Corinthians 5.16 So from now on, we regard regard no one from a worldly point of view. If you see a non-Christian that you know and think that they're far from God, you're not seeing them as God sees them. Because God sees every unbeliever as near to the kingdom and within reach and touch of the kingdom. Okay, so we're very similar to Nike in that regard. How about some of their company values? I think these are quite fun. Be a sponge, all right? 
evolve immediately, do the right thing. Do you see they're all different to their external brand? This is important, okay, which I'll explain why. They use a different language internally to externally. They don't use their, they don't use their internal language or their prospective customers, okay? So if you were, if you were watching TV and a Nike advert came up this evening and it said, here's our new product, be a sponge, You'd think that's weird, wouldn't you? Because it is. And yet, if you turn to a non-Christian who's got no church background and go, if you're a sinner and you fall short of the glory of God, they would probably think you're weird. Not because it's not true, but because you're using internal theological language to explain the gospel. You get to, I mean, there's a, there's a, a quite a famous uh, evangelistic talk called Romans Road where it takes four verses out of the gospel. So it's using technical, theological, Christian Jewish language, which is all true, to go and tell people about what it means to be a Christian in a language they don't understand. And you wonder why people think we're a bit weird at times. How about the word sin? I don't think it's a good word to use with non-Christians. You know why? Because they don't know what it is. It doesn't mean you can't talk about what it means. So for example, the origin of the word sin in Greek is failure, being in error, missing the mark, especially in throwing a spear. Okay? The Hebrew origin, it comes from archery and literally refers to missing the gold at the center of the target, i.e. error. How many people do you know that throw spears and do archery? And yet we use a term where we think people will understand what it means. See, Jesus, we're going back to Matthew 22 about being invited to the feast. In that parable, that story, there was a man that didn't have wedding clothes on and got thrown out of the wedding. So Jesus is using an analogy for someone who's not dressed in Christ's righteousness without using any religious language at all. He's dealing with the concept of sin, blocking you from getting into heaven's kingdom. He doesn't mention any of that religious language in his stories. So I think language is a key thing where we can possibly put people off. For example, we, we sung it today. We sung the term living water. Do you like that term? That's in one of our songs. Do people in our culture enjoy drinking water? Some possibly do. What drinks do people have every day to get through the day? Coffee and tea. I would suggest to you that Jesus would probably use the term living coffee in his evangelism. Or even alcohol, because that's what our drinking holes are. Like, they don't wells of water, are they? They're pubs, bars, and coffee houses, aren't they? We need to translate what the Bible says into language that we understand. The second reason, I think, is that we don't demonstrate the supernatural reality of God's kingdom to unbelievers enough. So even, even taking some of Maria's story where she was getting a supernatural download in the middle of her conversation, that's, that's that kind of thing I'm talking about. It's the ability to connect with God supernaturally in the midst of an evangelistic moment. So it says in Matthew 10:7, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal those that are ill. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. This is our mandate. We don't just have a mandate 
of, of words. And the important thing is, so going back to what I said at the beginning, that the, sharing the gospel is about revealing the king and his kingdom. Miracles confirm the authenticity of the king and his kingdom. It's really important to know that. Having the confidence to lay hands on people in our everyday life so they encounter his presence and get miraculously healed is a really important part of revealing the kingdom. Not just using words. And miracles are thriving in this environment, aren't they? Which means they can thrive in you and thrive where you are. Okay. It's going to come into land. Where's, can we have a guitar? Thank you. We'll go on to our next slide. So the question I've been asking myself, or Fiona and I have been talking about, is how can we introduce people to a kingdom without using the word kingdom? Because it's not an everyday word. Does that make sense? I don't know how many conversations you have in a normal month with your unbelieving friends. I bet the word kingdom doesn't come up very often unless it's in a movie title or something like that. So, I looked up on an online or the synonyms or similar words, whatever the right English is, for the word, for a different or equivalent word of kingdom. There's lots of them. But the one that grew, um, or grabbed my attention was the, you don't have to use this, I'm not trying to create a method, I'm just trying to show you where my thinking is at the moment, is the word realm. Okay, so we use that politically at times, don't we? We think about the English, the historic English empire. And it also is associated with royalty and a king. So what I'm going to do, if you can get off on your feet, God wants to bring his kingdom among you in these moments. I'm going to describe to you a kind of feminized view of what Jesus' realm is. And as I describe it to you, I want you to engage with it because God wants to come and touch you in this moment. I know you've been touching it already, but if you could play for me quietly while I read this, is that all right? Why I'm doing this is, is when I, when I talk about this, if I was talking to a, an unbeliever, I'd want the supernatural reality of the thing I'm talking about to touch you. So in this moment, I'm modeling to you supernatural evangelism. I'm talking about a realm that is now going to touch you. So, here we go. So if you want to engage with the presence, engage with the king of the kingdom, just take these words and let King Jesus touch you. See, have you heard, so have you heard about heaven's realm? I want to tell you about it and introduce you to it right now. Heaven's realm is where King Jesus has power over all sickness, death, hopelessness, despair, and error. Within Jesus' realm, life prospers continually. It keeps growing. It has no limits or restrictions. His realm touches people of all ages, backgrounds, and nationalities. In his realm, there is no hurt, pain, damage, or brokenness that can't be healed. This realm restores what has been lost or stolen. Jesus' realm is synonymous with the miraculous because it's a realm where all things are possible. 
people who enter his realm discover who they really are, why they were born, what their destiny is, and get to fulfill their dreams. When they enter this realm, people encounter love and the father whom love originates from. They are transformed into world changers by the spirit pervading them with the father's nature. They are given the ability to bring the wisdom and resources of heaven into their everyday lives. Their relationship to the king is clearly seen by the way they honour and value each other. People in this realm reveal the kindness and the nature of their king wherever they go. Their message is centred on love, freedom, grace and forgiveness. It has power to liberate people from any limitation from their upbringing, decisions, culture or circumstances. Their lives are characterised with joy, passion and courage. Their privilege is to partner with God in his dream to reconcile the world to himself. For all of you in the room right now, Jesus invites you to live in this realm. This realm is within everyone's reach. So why don't you reach out and experience it now? Stay in his presence now and let God touch you. He wants to speak to some of you right now that you're amazing. That that poor image you have of yourself has no place anymore. He says that he designed you. That you're his idea. And you're just simply out of this world. God wants to give you some freedom right now. Some of you came in here this morning, this morning, this evening, struggling with something. But in this realm, struggle has no place. And Jesus is removing it from you now. Others of you need healing. In Jesus' realm, Jesus heals all diseases, all sicknesses. There's people here that have persistent headaches. Like someone here has got pain in their wrist. God's going to heal that for you now, just as you let him touch you. Some of you here, maybe one or two of you, maybe more carry a sense of failure things you've done in the past but in his realm Jesus says that you're not defined by your failures but by your relationship to him he wants to say by default that you're a success for 
those of you that say, what's the point? It's too hard. I'll never succeed. Or those of you that feel lonely or struggle to forgive yourself or others. In this realm there is freedom from any emotional brokenness. So let him touch you now. He just wants to love on you. Know that you're special to him. So I pray, Jesus, for these for all of us in the room. That we would know how to access and live in your realm. In its unlimited measure of heaven's kindness and goodness. And then it would just spill out amongst the people that we mix within our everyday lives. Pray you teach us, Jesus, to talk about your amazing kingdom to people around us and the hope and the transformation it can bring. I'm going to finish there, but I just want to hand back to Sasha. But if, if while you're standing, God touched something deep in your life and you want somebody to pray with you, we'll be willing to do that, won't we, at the end. But.